so much of what we learn about longevity and health is about fixing. Oh yeah, we can get this shot. We can get this therapy. We can take this pill. And what I want to remind you of is that any of that stuff, for whatever it can achieve, it will do more for you if your body is in optimal health to begin with. The ultimate biohack is living in accordance with your body's design. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. When I first started thinking about longevity, it was around about 1976, and it was not a happy occasion. In 1976, my babysitter was removed from her house and murdered. There we are. To start on a positive note, they always say. But, you know, at six years old, that taught me about mortality. I think a lot of kids have the benefit of not realizing they're mortal until they get to 28. But at six years old, I suddenly found myself realizing it came to an end. And then I started thinking about that, and I realized I was born in 1970, and I was born really close to the end of the century, and I set this goal as a kid to exist in three centuries. I thought it would be cool. I want to be alive in all three of them. But that meant that I had to make it to 130 to get there. I've been thinking about this for a long time. How do you get there? So I have some thoughts for you. Oh, by the way, then I saw Muhammad Ali. Some of you have probably seen a version of this, but it originated with Muhammad Ali, as far as I know. And Muhammad Ali did this beautiful thing where he'd say, look, I want you to imagine that this is your life. How much of it have you lived already? So that's what's left. And then how much of that are you going to sleep? About a third. And then how much of that are you going to work? About half of what's left. And then how much of that time are you going to spend filling out tax returns? <laughs> Waiting in the dentist's office, sitting in the dentist's chair, getting a haircut, gossiping, wasting time, shopping for irrelevant things. So how much life do you really have left? It's fleeting. It's really fleeting. And so... That gets me thinking about a number of things. A lot of us are sitting here going, wow, I've only got this much left, I wanna make it longer. And I'm thinking, so many times people come to me in business and say, Eric, I wanna expand my business internationally. And I'm like, okay, great, why? I just, I want to, I wanna have an international business. I go, have you saturated the market you're in? Have you gone as far as you can in the country you're in before you expand out to other countries? So what I wanna suggest to you is, there's so much talk about, let's extend it. But what if we just extend it from within the time we got? How many people out there, you know, the muggles, you know, the ones, they have jobs they hate. They do, they have jobs they don't like. So think about if they can find a way to find a job or a business or a passion they'd like, they instantly give themselves eight hours of extra life every day. Does this make sense? And so... There's another side effect of this though, and that is that when you really enjoy your life, when you really enjoy your life, you send this message to your genes. I'm useful, I'm valuable, I should be here. And so when you enjoy your life more, I think you do a huge amount for your own longevity. Does that make sense? All right, so let's do this. Thank you very much. Never mind the rest of you. If you have two cars, you bought two cars. They have serial numbers that are sequential. They came off the line together. And you have two of them. You put one in the garage 
and you leave it there. And the other one, you take out and you drive it 30, 40 miles a day. Which car is going to last longer? The one you drive. But cars aren't regenerative. How is it possible that using it is going to make it last longer? We're regenerative. Clearly, we have to use ourselves. But cars, even cars need to be used in accordance with their design in order to last longer. If you don't use the car in accordance with its design, it doesn't last as long. And there are people out there in the world that spend more effort and more time and more focus and more care and more money taking care of their car than they do of their body. Why? So in WildFit, one of the things that we've done that's so effective is teaching people to really pay attention to what's going on inside their head. Everybody, when they first hear about WildFit, they come to me and go, Eric, tell me what to eat. And I go, oh man, it's just so not like that. It just so isn't like that. That's how the diet industry is broken. The diet industry is broken because they say, eat this and don't eat that. And then you attempt to apply some willpower to that. And how long does that last? Willpower. Yeah, if you're lucky, two days. I've seen people set food goals at like 1130 on December 31st. And two and a half hours later, they're smoking and drinking, right? What's going on? So when I think about this car thing, What are the most common causes of death for cars outside of accidents? What are the most common causes of death for cars? Rust, the engine not getting maintained, the transmission dying. And so we do stuff to protect that. So I want to try a little experiment. Here's the experiment. I just want to make things a little bit real for a moment. I want you to think of a number between 1 and 10. But here's the thing. I want you to really try to randomize this because I would like the numbers to be very even through the room. So if you're normally a 7 person, I want you to just think outside the box. If you're never a seven person, then maybe you know what to do. But I want you to think of a number between one and 10, and as soon as you've got your number, stand up. If your number is between one and three, you represent the roughly one third of people that are gonna die from heart disease, sit down. Luckily, heart disease, it doesn't generally create the same kind of suffering as other diseases, often it's instant, so good job, guys. It's fantastic. They have put a lot less strain on the medical system than other people have because some of them just die instantly. They don't cost that much. But this next batch of people, four, five, and six, you guys, you represent all the people that die of the variety of cancers that are out there in the world. Sit down. This is a different kind of death. This is a death that very often is unbelievably expensive on society and emotionally destroying to families. And it's lifestyle indicated, lifestyle caused, lifestyle influenced, just like heart disease. If you are number seven or eight, you represent the people that die what's called an iatrogenic death. Does anybody know what that is? A few people, they're doctors, they know what it means. It's a very fancy name for saying medical error. You won't even see it in many of the tables because they don't like it being reported considering that in the Western world it's the third or fourth highest cause of death. And then I want you to think about something. What percentage of doctor-induced or medical error-style death do you think actually gets reported as doctor-induced or medical death? I would guess less than half. Still, we'll just go with seven and eight. Sit down. And nine, well, this is 
lower respiratory disease, unfortunately. It's the highest cause of death relative to communicable diseases, and you guys have died of some form of lower respiratory disease, or you represent the people that have, you guys can sit down. And if you're number 10, the odds are heavily against you dying a gorgeous death anyway. Accident, suicide. Now I'm terrified of myself. <laughs> After Mia's talk, I like come into the hotel room and I go, I better call a friend now. If you're number 10, there's a variety of different ways that you're gonna die, but what I want you to think about is the way Stephen Covey passed away. Stephen Covey has a huge family. If I remember correctly, 12 children. And he'd been in an accident and everybody was worried for his health because he was quite advanced in his years and then he recovered. And then one night, he wasn't feeling so good. And he called his family around. And the family all gathered around and he said goodnight to all of them and then he went to bed and he didn't wake up. Gorgeous. You guys at attends, you represent for me the hope that each of us can design the most gorgeous exit that we could ever design. You guys can have a seat, thank you. There's so much talk on our planet about life after death. I'm thinking, what about life during life? What about choosing the method with which you actually do end up leaving? And I think a great deal about why it is that people don't do that. What we've found in WildFit so often is that people are making a decision for the now at the cost of the future. Is it true? So why do we do that? And so I want to give you a thought because I'm going to share with you some general principles that I have about longevity. But before I share them with you, I don't want to share them with you the way the diet industry usually shares stuff. And it's not just about food, but what I mean is I don't want to just give you a bunch of rules that you may or may not follow or you may or may not apply willpower to. I want to give you a thought process. I want you to imagine that you have two personalities, kind of like the angel and devil, but one is a petulant teenager and the other one is the sage. So when you're making a decision about how to live your life, which one of those two is making the decision for you? Because I'll tell you right now, I've seen many people, I'm not saying I've seen anybody in this room doing this. For some reason, many of you regard me as the food police. Yeah, I walk past your tables, you know, oh shit, it's Eric. <laughs> right? Someone yesterday said, I was walking along with a croissant and I could feel your judgment. <laughs> no, not my judgment, your own. But here's the thing. Why do we choose stuff that we know is not good for us? Why do we choose to not do the stuff that we know is good for us? Why? Why do we do that? Because the petulant teenager in a moment has a bit of a meltdown. And so I want you to think about that voice. I want you to think about what drives you when you're faced with some food or you're faced with exercise. How many people in here have procrastinated exercise a little more often than maybe they should? Anybody? Yeah, that's the teenager. That's the teenager because the sage... And the sage would say to you, you know what? Use it or lose it, wouldn't it? And so I want you to think about that. Really, put it into practice here. You're like, oh, I'm on vacation. You know what? Elise and I, my wife and I, we found something fascinating about vacation. Vacation is a fantastic place to let your rules go. You can eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, go out and have some fun, right? Then, unfortunately, what happened in our case is we decided to give up having a home and we spent two years traveling all over the world and we were on vacation permanently. That's not a path to longevity. So what I want you to think about, even here, even now, even after this talk, even the rest of the time, I want you to think a little bit about who's in control of the decision, the teenager or the sage. You'll hear the voice. 
It kind of goes like this. Imagine with food. But you're in Italy. Oh, look, some of you have a teenager inside you. It's a voice that's in there. And what we do is we quiet down the sage. The sage is like, yes, and you have to live in this body. How many of you have heard of longevity escape velocity? Not so many. Longevity escape velocity is the idea that we are now adding to the lifespan with an accelerated rate that might mean that we start adding more time onto your lifespan than you're using. What would that mean? I was with Ray Kurzweil a couple of weeks ago. He beamed into a mastermind that I'm a part of, and we got to have a really interesting conversation with him. And he believes that he has crossed over into longevity escape velocity. What that means is, is that right now we add about two months onto the human life expectancy each year. But it wasn't two months five years ago. It was 1.5 months. So soon it'll be three months, and then it'll be six months. What happens when we start adding a year to human life expectancy each year? Longevity escape velocity. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if it can be done. But if Ray Kurzweil thinks it can be done, I tend to go with that as a possibility. He has made a number of interesting predictions about the world. But now we fall into this issue. So much of what we learn about longevity and health is about fixing. Oh yeah, we can get this shot. We can get this therapy. We can take this pill. And what I want to remind you of is that any of that stuff, for whatever it can achieve, it will do more for you if your body is in optimal health to begin with. The ultimate biohack is living in accordance with your body's design. This whole concept of biohacking, I think it's the most fascinating thing in the world. I've had some fabulous conversations with Dave Asprey about this. The challenge I have is so many people. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way in every single day if you're successful in just one area of life you might just suck in another i've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles i've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money and that's totally fine it doesn't matter where you are life doesn't have to stay the same forever you're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. People are going, well, I don't have to do this because I can just use this hack. Dr. Spock, I don't mean the pointy-eared one. I'm talking about the pediatrician, the famous pediatrician. He did an about-face one day. He just realized that everything he'd been teaching people was wrong. And he said, no, do not give dairy milk to your children. 
Don't do it anymore. And of course, the dairy industry didn't really like that a whole lot. And then one of his friends, well, claims to be a friend, another doctor, said, I think he might be getting senile. And I saw this interview. The interviewer says, well, what's your advice? And he gave him some advice. And then the interviewer says, well, what about fruits and vegetables? I don't really like them. And he goes, me neither. I just take a multivitamin. And he's a doctor. I mean, I think somebody should take his piece of paper away. He shouldn't be a doctor, in my opinion, with that advice. I am thinking that the first thing we should be doing is taking care of our bodies, and then we can hack. Are you with me on this? So let's talk about taking care of our bodies. What is the number one thing you need for longevity? Air. Air. If you'd like to do an experiment, if anybody's very brave, hold your breath for five minutes. Let's see how that affects your longevity. I free dive. I can do a seriously deep dive to about 100 feet with about two minutes. But after that, I'm pretty sure I'd be dead. You got to have air. It's first. But not just air. The best quality air you can have. The best quality air, it doesn't mean, look, I know some of you live in cities and you're like, oh, I'm screwed then. No, your body needs that air whenever you can get it. It needs it. Elise and I are fortunate enough to live on a beach where the air currents flow in from Africa across the Atlantic Ocean. Nothing cleans air better than friction. It's been proven that a ceiling fan is a better air filter than an air filter. And so as the air comes across the ocean into our garden, it's been filtered. I'm so grateful for that. And then here's the other thing. Breathe properly. Your lungs, they seem to be designed badly. They're not, but it appears that they're designed badly. And that is that the little hairs that extract oxygen from the air you're breathing, they are sparsely scattered in the top of your lungs and thickly concentrated in the bottom of your lungs. This appears to be an incredibly bad design because the vast majority of people breathe up here all the time. Don't they? Where are you breathing now? This is a conversation I often have with smokers. I have an unpopular theory that nicotine isn't actually addictive physically, that smoking is very much like sucking your thumb. And here's the basis of it, that if you quit heroin, you get sick. If you quit caffeine, you get headaches. If you quit alcohol, you get sick. If you quit any of those addictive drugs, you get sick. What happens when you quit cigarettes? You eat because you have an oral fixation, because you want to do something with your hands. This is what smokers are addicted to. I'll show it to you. Matter of fact, all of you do it with me. Take an imaginary cigarette or a Jamaican cigarette if you'd prefer. Imaginary cigarette. And then you spark that up and then do this with me. Watch the way smokers do this. Watch them do this. They go. Do that with me. Come on. Nice big inhale. Hold it a little at the top and then let it out. Isn't that addictive? That's what they're addicted to. Because when you breathe like that, you oxygenate yourself properly and we need more of that in our lives. The reason we need to do it consciously where our ancestors didn't have to do it consciously is our ancestors lived in a world where water was distant, food was distant. So they were forced to do a lot of movement which forced them to breathe. We're not like that anymore. And so what we have to do is consciously breathe. We have to take time in our day to consciously breathe. I'll tell you something else too. Think about this. Two Bushmen, 100,000 years ago, Africa. One of them is breathing like this. You can't see them, you can't see their environment, but you can hear them. And one of them is breathing like this. What do you know about his environment? It's a scary environment in that moment. The other Bushman, he's breathing like this. 
What do you know about his environment? Totally safe. No cortisol being produced, no adrenaline being produced. Meditation works for many reasons, one of which is, is that you close your eyes and you breathe as though your environment is safe. And when you breathe that way and you tell your body that the environment is safe, you're not producing all the stress chemicals. A couple of minutes of that a day can change your life completely. Okay, what's next? You had air, what else do you need? Water, not coffee, not Coke, not fruit juice. You need water. You gotta have water. And then after that, nutrients. Now, nutrients are divided in my small world of this into two categories, energy-based nutrients and building blocks. You gotta have those things. And the challenge for most of us is, is that we eat non-nutrient foods. In other words, we eat energy-only foods. When you eat pasta, for example, lots of calories in it, that's all you're getting. You're just getting energy. So if you look around the Western world, what you'll see is the weirdest dichotomy of people are dying because they are overfed energy and underfed nutrients. Does this make sense to you? So they're overfed energy and they're underfed nutrients. So what's fascinating is research has come out and said that if somebody is obese, that is seven times more dangerous than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I said this to my wife one day, I said to Elise, hey, I read this thing, I was doing this research. She goes, that can't be true. If it was true, it would be on the cover of every newspaper everywhere. I mean, that's huge news. And I said, no, I totally, it's true. And on top of that, Americans are eating 160 pounds of sugar every year. She goes, that can't be true either. Then, I don't know if any of you have had this experience with your husband or wife, you share something profound with them, but they won't believe it till they hear it from somebody else. <laughs> have you had that? So a couple of weeks later, we're in London. And we're at this conference and Bill Clinton is speaking right before me. Try following that, right? So Bill Clinton's on stage and then he does Q&A and this woman says, Mr. President, what are the biggest dangers we're facing today? And he goes, well, obesity is seven times more dangerous than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And with the average American eating 160 pounds of sugar a year, we got a problem. My wife goes, did you hear that? <laughs> Thanks. The point that I'm trying to make to you is, again, back to the teenager and the sage. I'm not saying don't have fun. Look, you guys have to know, for those of you who've done WildFit, you know that our fundamental principle is about freedom. WildFit is about you eating what you want to eat when you want to eat it. But it's about changing those wants, right? We have to change them. And so the teenager and the sage, they can do that for you. The next time you're sitting there looking at this food and you go, this is non-functional food, the sage is going to be the one to say, <clears throat> Really? And the teenagers go, but you are in Italy. And I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm saying it's not the decision you make in a given moment that affects your longevity. It's the decisions you make every single day cumulatively. Everybody is making exceptions every day diet-wise. So what we have to do is make sure if we want longevity, look, guys, look, we know this. Doctors, how much time do they spend studying food? Non-enlightened doctors. It's not their fault. It's the industry. How much time in a six, eight, or 10-year medical education will they spend studying food? Zero. Let's go back to our two cars. Would you take your car to a mechanic that doesn't study gas, oil, and transmission fluid? Under no circumstances. So you have to take charge of this. You've got to get it right. And what I want to suggest to you is that somebody handing you a bunch of food rules, unless you're highly leveraged, and unfortunately for most people, they will not become highly leveraged until they are sick. So what you want to do is get highly leveraged in advance of being sick. That's why I did this little exercise. Guys, those are the numbers out there. 
And you have the ability to affect that. And so what I want to suggest is, hey, let the sage speak up a little from time to time. I'm not saying never have fun, but draw the line for yourself somewhere. Like, I'll give you an example. Should Coca-Cola be an occasional thing? Absolutely not. It shouldn't be. But you're in Italy and you want to have a thin crust pizza. Can that be an occasional thing? Sure. Guys, I had one. Damn it, I just gave them permission. <laughs> I had one, but you know what I did? It's an old trick in WildFit. We talk about the psychology. I did the old trick. I said, yes, I can do this, but I absolutely make a commitment to myself that when I am back from this, I will absolutely not. Because what I know about weed is that it's addictive. Isn't it true? You have bread one day, you want bread the next day. Who came in here thinking, it's my first day in Italy, I'll have one bowl of pasta. And then the next day you want it again, right? So. One of the tricks in WildFit is, and it's a principle of WildFit, is there's a significant amount of freedom on the other side of a promise. Because you see, if you don't make the promise, you go, I'll decide at the time. That's never a good idea. Do you guys know Om, One Taste? One Taste, apparently some of the practitioners at One Taste will tell you at the beginning of your session, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's Om, orgasmic meditation. So you go to this place and... They have them in San Francisco, New York. They're all over the place. And apparently some of the practitioners will say, well, after our session together, we could hook up. Well, all the women that go to these things, they'll tell you, make that decision before the session starts. Because <laughs> once the session is underway, you won't have a choice anymore. I'm saying same thing with food. Don't go to the restaurant and decide. Don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, I'll decide for us today. If you're going to come on vacation and you're going to have a bit of fun, then you make a firm commitment. When I get home, for those of you who are in WildFit, I'm going into spring. Does this make sense to you? You can have fun. We were sitting with Jeffrey Perlman, one of the owners of Zumba. Andrea and I were sitting with Jeffrey and we we're trying to figure out what is the brand promise? What is WildFit really about? And we really brainstormed this out. You know, Coca-Cola wants to buy happiness. Harley Davidson wants to own irreverence and rebellion. And we're like, okay, what is WildFit all about? And it came down to one thing, freedom. It came down to one thing, freedom. Freedom from the food industry, freedom from the pharmaceutical industry, freedom to live a healthy life, freedom. And then the next morning, this is in Jamaica, for those of you who are there, in Jamaica, the next morning, we're sitting at the table having breakfast and a guy comes out, he's got his food and he walks out of the buffet and he walks up to the table and he goes, excuse me, yes? He goes, can I just talk to you for a minute? I'm like, sure. He goes, I just want to thank you. I said, for what? No kidding, he says, for my freedom. And Jeffrey and Andrea and I looked at each other and were like, holy. And then Jeffrey goes, wait, 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 wait. What exactly do you mean by freedom? What do you mean by freedom? Like, if you really want to understand, he goes, I just walked through the buffet area and I didn't even see the bread and the croissants and the donuts because I didn't regard them as an option. It didn't even occur to me that they were food. How nice is that? Freedom. Okay, so we've had our air, we've had our water, and we've talked about getting our nutrients in. Incidentally, human beings have traditionally eaten 200 plant species a year. Do you know what the average American eats a year? Five, and that's only because the FDA now allows pizza to be a fruit and vegetable. Good luck for you here in Italy. Pizza is one of your five-a-day fruits and vegetables. <laughs> then we move to the next thing. And the next thing is about movement. 
The next thing is about movement. You gotta take the car out and take it for a drive, right? If you don't take it for a drive, it's going to atrophy, it's going to die, it's going to seize up, it's gonna lose flexibility. Your body is the same. Now here's the tough part of this. It takes some discipline and it takes discipline because of something that I've been working on and I'll share with you guys. I believe that almost all of the suffering that humans undertake now, almost all of the suffering that we experience these days stems from something we call the evolution gap. And the evolution gap is an understanding that our physical bodies evolved over a really long period of time, very slowly, and that our society suddenly evolved very quickly. And so that means that we have hardware and software instincts that are for one style of life, and then we have a society that's very different. Does this make sense? So many of the things that we try to do in our modern day society are at odds with our instincts and at odds with our physiology. I'll give you a great example. Lately, you've seen in the diet and fitness world, the vilification of fruit. Fruit is wrong. You can't eat fruit, it's evil, really. It's absolutely not. It's vital, it's incredibly important. It plays a very valuable role in your life. The challenge is, is that our ancestors ate fruit when mother nature provided it for a few weeks. And then it was gone. And then they moved on. And now, unfortunately, we can have it all the time. Well, what I would suggest to you is just about everything can be overdone. Can you overdo oxygen? Can you overdo air? So clearly you can overdo fruit. But what I really want to get at is that our ancestors were forced to travel huge distances to satisfy their most basic nutritional requirements. In social anthropology, there's this interesting measurement. It's called calories per acre. And you measure people at their different levels of development on their calories per acre. How many calories do they have per acre in their existence? So, for example, the Hadza Bushmen, the Kung Bushmen, they live with only a very small number of calories per acre, a very small number of calories. They have to travel. They have to go get it. The Maasai, on the other hand, they're pastoralists. So they carry livestock around with them. So they have created hundreds of thousands of calories per acre. At another level up, they become agriculturalists. So they're growing millions of calories per acre. And then you can go to Anaheim, California, where the whole fast food thing began. And now we're at a point of billions of calories per acre. And that's what started messing us up in the 70s and 80s. And then Uber Eats. Because now you have billions of calories per living room without any effort of any kind. The last time I went proper hunting with the Bushmen, I went out to go visit with the Bushmen again. I've done a number of visits with them and I got up one morning and the chief and I have become quite good friends. And he says to me, do you want to go hunting? And of course, I'm like, yeah, let's go hunting. I'm ready, let's go. And we head out. And I thought, you know what? I've always been curious how far we go on these trips. We usually go out for two or three hours. I want to know how much ground we cover. So I take a pedometer with me. There's no cell coverage out there, but my phone will still track the distance. I also noticed that the Bushmen weren't taking any water with them. So I thought, well, you know, when in Rome, don't take water. That was not the smartest thing I've ever done. We went out that day. It was 42 degrees centigrade outside in Fahrenheit is really hot. I don't know, but it's really hot. It's 100 and something. And so we headed out that day and we're running along and we're tracking and we're climbing up cliffs and we're descending down cliffs and we're ducking under trees and thorns are shredding our legs. And it's among the hardest miles I've ever done in my life. And we did 27 of them, 27 of them. At around about mile six, I'm going, what are these guys doing about water? Because I figured they knew there was a lake or a river somewhere, you know, they didn't carry their wild fit water bottle with them. Like what's going on here? 
And then at about mile 26, we arrived at this little farm camp of a group of people very much like the Maasai, and they had this trough where all their goats drink from. And so the Bushmen got down on their knees, they moved the slime out of the way, and they drank the water. I did not. <laughs> I figured I could make it another mile back. I made it another mile back. I drank two two-liter bottles of water immediately. 27 miles. I did not train for that marathon, and it was not like the London Marathon that I did run. You know, in the London Marathon, they're like, you got to be really careful of the cobblestone streets, man. They're hard. They're murder on you. I would beg for cobblestone streets. <laughs> Out there, it's a whole different thing, right? And then the chief, the chief and I have quite a fun little friendship. I asked him one day, I had sent out questions to the whole world and said, what would you like me to ask the Bushman? Tony Robbins wrote back to me and he said, I want you to ask them about the purpose of life and what happens when you die. So I said to the Bushman, what's the purpose of life? And he says, to be the best version of you that you could possibly be. Where is your online program, dude? <laughs> I said, could you tell me more about that? And he goes, well, look, you're a city guy. He thinks of me as the city guy. He can't think in other terms. And he goes, and I'm a Bushman. He goes, so I need to be the best Bushman that I can be, and you need to be the best city guy you can be. And I'm like, okay. And I go, but now I'm a city guy visiting you here in the bush. And he goes, well, then you should be the best city guy visiting a Bushman here. Like, he's explaining it to me like I'm 12, right? And then I go, okay, okay, but what if I, as a city guy, decided to just abandon my life and come and be a Bushman? He goes, well, then you should then just be the very best Bushman you could be. It was pretty straightforward for him. Then I go, okay, well, you know, Tony Robbins wants to know what happens when you die. And he goes, we move the camp. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we moved the camp. And I go, why? And he goes, well, because you're dead and you're going to start stinking. <laughs> I'm not sure you understood the question. What I want to know is what happens to me when I die. And he goes, we move the village. <laughs> I go, okay, oh, no, but me, me, like me. And he goes, you stay behind. <laughs> I go, okay. I go, no, but me, like the, the me that's me that's not my body. And he goes, there is no me that's not your body. He said, you're here to live this life. And I really like the idea of that. I don't like the idea that we give up our life for some imagined future. Maybe there is one. Maybe we get to reincarnate. Maybe we have another life. That's all fantastic. But I'm thinking that there are a lot of people who have traded their present day existence for this imaginary future, and I want to stop doing that. And so the last thing that I want to talk to you about, like when you think about your physical body, your cardiovascular fitness is extremely important to you. Is this true? Your heart and lungs, you got to have them. They got to work. You got to exercise them. If you're not doing a minimum of seven to 15,000 steps a day, you're not using the car enough. And then how about flexibility? Do you think flexibility might be important to your longevity? It's like the most important thing in your physical body outside of the nutrition and air and water because aging is simply the reduction of flexibility. Aging is the reduction of flexibility in your mind. I'll tell you, you go and live in England for a little while and watch people like, when they get old, it's like they got to watch this show at exactly that time. They can only drink their tea at exactly 10 o'clock. You don't want to mess with that. They get very rigid in their thought process, but they get physically rigid as well. Come on, haven't we all seen the stooped over, crunched over? Do you guys know fascia? We've been working with a guy who does effectively resistive stretching to release the fascia off your muscles. And it is life-changing. 
Fascia is like an internal cast. It's there to protect you from injury and all that kind of stuff, but it gets thicker and thicker and it interrupts electrical flow. It stops your thoughts from being able to pass through properly and it causes you to be restrictive. Here's the thing, guys. I am 48 years old. One day, Elise and I went to a yoga class and the woman said to Elise, what's his back bend like? You don't want to marry a guy without a good back bend. It's an indication of aging. And so you guys let me know, should she have married me? Flexibility is youth. At what point in time do you stop being able to be a kid? When you open up your flexibility and be able to do this stuff. I'm telling you, yoga and flexibility is unbelievably important to your longevity. And muscle density and bone density, which you only get from resistive exercise. Go get your 10X class. Get some resistance in on your muscles. Make sure that you have impact from time to time because your bones only get stronger with impact. But now let's talk about your mind because your mind has so much to do with this. Viktor Frankl noticed when he was in a concentration camp during World War II that when rumors circulated that the Allied forces would be releasing and liberating the camps at Christmas, that people stopped dying. The people in the labor camps stopped dying. And then when the Allied forces didn't come at Christmas, they would resume dying. I was reading a study just yesterday where they took a bunch of women, Chinese women, and there's a very special Chinese holiday that celebrates older women. And you know what's fascinating? Is those women, the death rate falls by 33% in the week prior to the holiday. And then it jumps up by 35% after the holiday. A similar study was done with Jews in Passover, that the death rate fell before Passover and came back after Passover. Matter of fact, there was a quote that one of the guys from the study said. I wanted to read it to you guys. The quote is, at present, the best available explanation of the findings is that the deaths of some people are postponed until they have reached psychologically significant occasions. So I suggest to you, create many psychologically significant occasions for you. And I want to help you create one right now. Are you guys in? All right. So if we could have the lights down, and I'm going to suggest that you might want to get yourself comfortable. I want you right now just for a moment to think about what your ideal situation in your health and longevity would be in five years. Think about that. And I want to take you there. So I find that going into a deep place of relaxation is not always as simple as just counting from 10 down to one. It requires some steps. And one of the steps that I enjoy the most is taking your 10 toes and wiggling them and then letting them go. And then as you take that relaxation in your 10 toes, you can let it spread through your feet and allow it to develop some warmth and let it move up through your calves, your shins, and let it circulate around your knees. And as you allow the warmth and the relaxation to circulate around your knees, you can let it pour up into your thighs and into your bum and into your groin, through your hips, into your belly, lower back, nine. And then you can allow that feeling to spread up through your back over into your shoulders, eight, until it starts to feel like seven. Allow it to pour over into your chest, six and then allow it to pour down your shoulders into your arms to your five fingers on each hand. And allow the warmth and relaxation to spread right up over your back, into your neck, up over your head, 
and drip it down over your face until even the little muscles at the corners of your eyes relax. And as that relaxation gets deeper and deeper, allow yourself to breathe beautifully. Allow yourself to breathe beautifully. And from here, I want you to get a clear vision of what longevity means to you. In order for you to live the long, healthy, vibrant, amazing life you want to live, what do you need to be like? What do you need to look like five years from today? If you did everything right, if you listened to the sage more often and you did everything right, what would your body look like? How would your mind feel? What would your habits be like? How would you look? How would the people around you look? And so what I want to do now is I want to take you to that day. I want you to imagine that it's five years from now and we're back at A-Fest. We're back at A-Fest and you look and feel fantastic. People walk up to you on the greeting night at the initial mixer and they're like, oh my God, you look younger now than you did way back in Italy. What have you done? It's incredible. In fact, at one point, I want you to imagine that you have an opportunity to step into your hotel room and just look into the mirror for a minute and celebrate your youth and celebrate your youthfulness and celebrate your health. And right now, just for a moment, I want you to really go there. I want you to really experience how you would feel if this time, if this time you did the things that needed to be done. You followed your longevity constitution. You were working out. You ate well. You really meditated properly. You really just, for some reason, it all clicked into place for you and you really lived the way you knew you needed to be living. How much joy would you feel? How proud of yourself would you be? What would your self-esteem feel like? And in this place, five years from now, I want you to do something very important, and that is I want you to remember how you got here. I want you to remember what it is that you started doing after Italy. What are some of the things that you did more of? What are some of the things that you stopped doing? What are some of the things that you did less of? Hey, I know, I want you to imagine right now that you don't need to know exactly what I'm talking about. Do you remember that time? You remember that time just like about a week after A-Fest in Italy when you were about to eat that thing and you didn't? That's why you got here today. Oh, and you remember that other time when you were like, oh, I really don't feel like going out for a walk or a run. But then you were like, no, I'm going to do it this time. You remember those times? Wasn't that cool? Remember that one time you were like, oh, I really should go for a bit of a workout and you didn't feel like it, but then you phoned a friend and you decided to do it together. You remember that? And you remember there was that other time you were in the restaurant and you were looking at the menu and you saw two items, the one you really wanted, the teenager wanted, and the one the sage wanted. You remember that? But you started ordering for the sage. And you notice how the first times you did those things, they started to just affect everything about the way you made decisions, that every time you listened to the sage, your self-esteem improved. You remember that? That's how you got here. You got here because you started listening to the true you and not the petulant teenager. Yeah, it's in there. But you started to listen to you. Just for a moment, I'm going to give you some silence, and I want you to think about some of the things that you need, that you want to do more of, 
that you want to eat more of. And I want you to think about some of the habits that you want to do less of, that you did less of. I want you to remember how you did that. And as you think about that, as you embody that future, as you embody the five years that led to that future, I want you to prepare to come back into this room, into this time. But I want you to hold on to the memory of how you lived to get there. I want you to hold on to the feeling of self-esteem and value that you had there. And so as you ease your way back into this room, you're going to be able to ease your eyes open. And as you do that, I want you to look around the room without saying anything. I want you to ease your eyes open only as quickly and easily as you can accept this other future, this proper future. And look around the room and make eye contact with a few people. And I want you to send them one message. Look them in the eye right now and send them this message. I am glad you came. I'm really glad you came. And I really am glad you came. Thank you so very much, everybody. Have a fantastic day. Thank you so much. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.